Shalom, everyone. This is Dr. Dina Dye, and we are. I am hosting along with Jeff Morton, who is somewhere there. Uh, Hi, everybody. All right, returning to Eden. That's our weekly radio show, and uh, it's been a bit bit chaotic for the two of us for the last five or six weeks. I was gone, and Jeff had to fill in for me, and he's pretty busy these days. He's taken on a new career, so one can only imagine the, the pressure. And then the learning curve, when you've got to, you know, start later in life, your brain just doesn't quite, you know, handle it the way it did when you're in your 30s, I know. Well, well said. <laughs> Is that what's been going on for the last? Yeah. Okay. So we've had, you know, we've, we've been a little scattered, but uh, hopefully you got a chance to listen to the show last week, because we're going to really build off of that. We, we've been talking through the week about the concept of the priestly function, how does that apply to us today. And we'll probably just banter about some ideas today. Um, I know Jeff's fairly spent emotionally and physically in a lot of ways, and my life is, well, it's not chaos, but it's busy. So uh, we're going to let the spirit lead on this one, I think. So, Jeff, um, you, well, of course, you weren't here last week, and you, you said you had a chance to listen to the show. So um, just did anything stand out for you, and maybe we can just sort of toss that around and build off of that. Well, first of all, I, I kind of want to say to the audience, you know, it's been a while since both Dean and I have been, in, been at the microphone together, so we're glad to be here. And, of course, keep in mind that Dean and I are looking at each other. We can visually see each other. She's in New Mexico, and I'm in Seattle or near Seattle. Uh, yeah, I listened to the show last week. I have to because I I uh, edited. <laughs> Forced to listen. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I listened to the show, and, you know, I, it was so good. The program was so good that I, I spent a lot of time this week, in, in spite of all the things that I'm going through, just re playing a lot of the things that you were sharing last week in my head. And uh, at one point, probably midweek, I went, I said to myself, and, I, and I'm going to say this, but I'm not going to say this to kind of cast stones. Please understand that's not what I'm going to do. I began to, I remember when I started studying, you know, the priestly functions in the Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, and why they were important. The one thing that kept coming back and forth, it was, it was um, to be in the presence of the Father, to approach the King, so to speak. And it had nothing to do with a lot of the things that I had been taught o over the last, you know, 40 years of, uh, in the church system. And I have to say it that way. So I, as I'm listening, I begin to realize that at some point, we in the Christian world completely disconnected from the priestly order that God commanded Moses to teach Aaron and Aaron to do. Right. And, of course, it goes back to Genesis 1. Adam was placed into the kingdom, into the garden, into the temple, if you will, for, for a specific purpose. And between Adam and Abraham, Abraham and Moses, Moses and the Messiah, things just got screwed up. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of no different today. That's what I kept thinking about. And so I started thinking about Emperor Constantine. And how the court of the Nicene court, which I'm well versed on, shredded that whole thing even more so. Right. right. To where now you had a pope, and you had all of these ecumenical ministries popping up all over Europe that had nothing to do, largely nothing to do 
with the ordinances and the statutes of Leviticus. That's what your show kind of uh, caused in me to go back and revisit some of that stuff. And it's very true. Yeah, it's good. I mean, we are uh, a ways out from what was established in the beginning. Uh, are you getting an echo? I'm not. Okay, I got an echo. Um, you know, when you think about you know the structure of Israel, and again, we've talked about king-priest leadership, and then it got separated. Once we get, I think, really to Moses, I think those two uh, positions separate. Moses is kind of the king and Aaron the priest. And we see a lot of that in the, the time leading up to the Second Temple period. And <clears throat> that was the foundation. And so over time, as empires came and went and oppressed Israel, it's like that part of Israel just sort of kept dying, if you will. And then when you get to the first century, once the temple's destroyed, which is their central institution for all of life, like we can't really fathom this one thing that controlled every facet of life because we're compartmentalized. You know, the government's over here and the education's over here and entertainment's over here, but everything came together in that one place. And so uh, 70 common airlines destroyed and then they are sent into the four corners of the of the Roman Empire and ultimately you know you mentioned Constantine and I, I, I was saying earlier you know he put his stamp of approval on what happened but it had been building up until that time so typically a Jew that was in a congregation was not was not in a synagogue per se as time went on they were in a well they were in an alternate synagogue of Jews and non-Jews their job was supposed to train and teach but they basically went underground as as the the Gentile world began to take control over the even the synagogue system. The the Jews that were messianic basically went underground and really and here we are today. Well, actually, you know, you you know this as well as I do. They were pretty much when when a lot of the rabbinic Judaism sprung up after the Second Temple's destruction, the messianic Jews were vanished for the most yeah. part. They yeah. just disappeared. Exactly right. And then yeah, we almost uh, around I think it's pretty much done for by the fourth century. Right. Uh, it's not to say there weren't messianic Jews and things going on through the Middle Ages, but we have virtually no information. Well and what I what I think a lot of people don't really understand because you know most most people don't read this stuff and study it is the anti-Semitism that grew up against anything Jewish, right. for the most part, was horrific. Mm -hmm. And for centuries. And centuries, Which yeah. meant, because of the disconnect between what they understood and what the churches were flourishing in, we got even further away from the Levitical priestly laws and, and mm -hmm. all of the things that God commanded to do. And so... When we talk about the priest being a servant, the priest or the pastor or the bishop or whatever you want to call them, they became almost like godheads right. in buildings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it was a, essentially a replacement theology that was forming in every angle, you know, from the building to the, the priestly function became a replacement for what had been instituted from the beginning. 
and then you get so far along nobody even knows what the foundation looked like anymore there was nobody left to tell them or they weren't going to listen anyways so and then you know I I, I have felt uh, that 1967 was sort of a pivotal year that we went through you know whatever 1800 years of whatever <laughs> but that, that was a pivotal moment for what we would call the messianic Jewish world for lack of a better term and where people who were Jewish began to you know come into the faith in record numbers coming in the 70s and into the 80s and you know that's a whole other story in itself but there at that created the environment to bring to return to the scripture and understanding of what was at the beginning and it took Jewish people to do that well, and it was the Jewish people that began to go back before Maimonides and some of the other, uh, you know, really anti-missionary type teachers. And I, I don't say that, I, that's not a blanket statement. I'm just saying that because of the abuse of the Jews, they did everything they could to distance themselves from anything Christian. And yeah. then we started seeing the Messianic Jews who were, who were Talmudic writers who wrote about Yeshua and wrote about all these things. But for the most part, that stuff was buried. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we and lost the whole flavor of the priesthood completely. It's not even presented to in the synagogues today. No. Well, and unfortunately, you know, those who go to seminary, et cetera, don't really have a good understanding. I mean, we do have some good scholars now to help us unravel a lot of this, but your you know, your typical pastor who's been in seminary who's now in the pulpit. Um, really doesn't have a very good grasp on it unless he takes the time to start investigating some of the, you know, first century sources, etc. Well, I think it's important too that we 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 it, it can be real easy to start casting dispersions. Sure. What Dean and I are talking about, folks, is what God ordained. He ordained not only the design of the temple, but the functions of every aspect of it. And so when we go back to that, we begin to realize that this was not about a sacrificial system. It was about the dwelling place of the Most High. This was his place. And right. so there were protocol. and there, It's like you and I can't just walk up to the President of the United States of America. We can't go sit down and have coffee with any dignitary that's sitting in high office. That's not changed. And so it was no different with the Father. And you mentioned, Dean, and I've said this many, many times, when we look at the temple construct period, it doesn't matter what group of people we're talking about, that was the center of their activity for that culture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's kind of interesting, yeah. Dina. If there's only one God, then all those other temples uh, were kind of facsimiles for some despot. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's true, because there is only two camps. There's yeah. only two camps, you know. So we got a despot now that's worshiping some god and putting feces all over it. I'm thinking of Dagon. Yeah. And doing all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this, this has nothing to do with what Moses was talking about. And today, it's no different. Well, and it's interesting. You know, of course, back, you know, back in the especially first century period, all those cities, the seven Asian uh, cities that we have, you know, they pretty much all had temples with their particular god or goddess in there, and that's where they went to worship. And so, you know, in our modern uh, post-enlightenment ways, we don't think that we have temples, <laughs> unless you go to 
Japan or something, you know, China. But actually, we do. I mean, you consider Hollywood, you know, that is a temple where people go to worship. Or, you know, New York's, um, the UN, you know, that's a place where people go to worship or a sort of financial. They're not under one roof, but they're all co considered temples where people go to worship their god. And they're all over our culture. We don't recognize it. Uh, I once wrote in my book, I wrote, if Paul were to get off the boat in lower Manhattan and start walking around Manhattan, he, he wouldn't see anything that he could connect to right. God of creation. Yeah. What we don't understand, of, see, I, this is kind of funny, but it's not funny. If, if Paul went into a church, I'm pretty sure he would say, what, what did you guys do to my writing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really do believe that. I don't, I'm, again, I'm not trying to throw what we've understood under the bus, but I'm pretty sure that Paul would because it's completely disconnected from what he was restored to right. 1,500 years after the first tabernacle was made in the wilderness. Paul was restored to that identity, not what had transpired for 1,500 years. Yeah, and you know, it, one of the main functions of the priests in the temple, of course, we've talked about they, they mediate between heaven and earth, but yes. they also mediate between God, our God in this case, and the folks and the people. And... If you have developed this sort of uh, counterfeit priestly thing, or we don't even really know what it is, I mean, how are we even mediating? We don't even really know how to do that because we've taken it out of its context. And I think it's probably one of the most important uh, responsibilities and functions that we have as uh, believers in, at this particular time is to mediate on behalf of those who don't know him. But we, we don't even have a clue what that means. Well, that's what spurred on the discussion I was having in my head all week, because I'm I was sitting here going, if you if you have a counterfeit facsimile of the priesthood, but don't do any of the things that God ordained the priest to do, then everything after that, everything after that, can't possibly be. Now listen carefully, can't possibly be the means to approach the king. Mm -hmm. It can't. Yeah. Because the Bible was very specific in how you approach the king. Very specific. Very right. detailed. You died. So if we have a facsimile that's 1,800 years gone the, the other direction, how in the goodness of our creator are we to approach him unless we do it emotionally? Right, that is, and that is our only option, <laughs> you know. We just, okay, we feel like we're in his presence or we feel like he's communicated something and we, I mean, we don't really know how to operate any other way. And this is dangerous because the, the priesthood was not based on emotion. There was purpose and function. There was, and as you said, specific protocol. And if you didn't do it exactly right, you put the entire nation in jeopardy. Right. So imagine for us now, you know, if we have a responsibility to intercede on people's behalf, um, and and there is a way to approach, and we're not doing it according to how he wants us to approach. I mean, what what good are we doing? I, I ask no. myself that, you know, not 
casting <laughs> dispersions, but I'm in my own mind towards myself. I'm, I ask that well, question. Exactly, and that's the same with me. I'm sitting here this week going, Father, we're we're so far off the track. I mean, I don't I don't even know. What I do know is this. And getting back to to our discussion about why the temple exists in the first place, the ten, temple was the place that God called sacred. This is where he was going to dwell. Mm -hmm. And if we look at it from that perspective, he was not a rabbi. He was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He is Elohim, God Almighty. Right. And, and we have to look at it from that perspective because the whole reason we were to do this was to prepare ye the way of the king. Right. In other right. words, the king was going to dwell in the temple, which didn't mean that he was going to give a sermon. He was going to rule and reign over the nation. And if we consider Yeshua, Jesus, as the one who's going to rule over the nations, then he has to build, there's going to be a temple, because that's the blueprint and the pattern of how the order of the kingdom is to be done. Right. That's going to happen. He's going to return. And right. he's to establish that authority, but it's not going to be a sermon, it's going to be as the president or right. the king or yeah. the omnipotent one. It's not going to be a religious thing, right. it's going to be a governmental institution spread out all over the world whereby all of the nations will be ruled by the king. Yeah. Kind of takes you... it out of the church arena, doesn't it? Right, and it needs to come out of that arena because it's really not working all that well. I mean, in ancient Israel, the the whole uh, concept of kingship and uh, was it a polit was the political realm. I mean, we can't hardly stand to use that word and kingship together, but that's how it functioned. It was it wasn't just it, you know you keep saying it's not a religious system, it's a governmental system, and. Um, one of the things I actually that I was thinking about this week, um, shifting gears just a little bit, but it struck me, especially you can see in um, empires that are run by tyrants and despots, etc. Anything that's not the kingdom, basically, there's no va value placed on human life. So there's not one place anywhere, like, and we can look on our own planet today, where there's any value for human life except in the kingdom. The only reason life has value is because of kingdom people. And if it weren't for that, there would be, there would be none. And so you see this battle going on in our own country between what I, you know, kingdom people and people in the <laughs> other worldly sense and that's the that's the the biggest that's the battle i see that the battle for human life and that that life has value and it has humanity so empires don't value that ever well dean i'm glad you brought that up because i um i was driving home last night this was before i folks i got some pretty disturbing news which i'm not going to go into uh, on the show tonight but Earlier, before that all happened, I was driving home and I saw an email because I'm in traffic, not moving anywhere. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah, I do. I looked at my email and there was a letter. There was an email from a lady uh, who's been an email friend of mine for over 10 years. I've never met her. Uh, but she had this song by Josh Groban 
And so I clicked on it, and I listened. I started listening to the song. The song is called Thankful. It's all over my Facebook page. And I started listening to the song, and before it got halfway through, I was literally in tears, couldn't see the road, and and I couldn't see. Um, I was filled up with emotion because I'm looking at what God created when he created mankind. I'm always looking at what he did. And what he did is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But because we move so far away from what he did, we don't even recognize how amazing we are to the point that life has become arbitrary, like you say. Yeah, yeah. And yet our king has withstood kicking the earth across the cosmos because he's benevolent and because everything that he has done is to support life. Everything that he has placed into the earth, his temple, his laws, his statutes, all of it, everything is to support life. Yeah. Even the mercy extended to all of humanity is extended in order to support and continue this amazing thing called life. And that's what overcame me in the car wow. driving home last night yeah. was because the priestly order, Israel... What God poured into Israel, the Bible, they're all there to protect and to promote life. Mm -hmm. We have gotten so far away from that. Uh, I love how Skip Moen said, and I've said this, I'll repeat his words all the time. He said, the further we get from God, the less human we become. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we and become beasts. Yes. We've We're essentially beasts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, when you look at what we are, to me, I, I sit amazed at what we are. Right. I really do. I'm, folks, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because I'm on the I sit and I am amazed at the ability of humanity because of what God did when he created us. And for us to, you know, he's trying to restore us back to what he's doing, not what we've done to what he's doing. That's right. what Returning to Eden is all about. That's why Dean and I do this show. It's because we recognize, and I think a lot of believers do recognize, that God is in the restoration business. And if we go back to the priestly functions, and, you know, like we always talked about, like Professor John um, Walton says, function and purpose. Yeah. If we go back to that reality as opposed to emotion and um, emotion, dysfunction, yeah. <laughs> we go back to function and purpose. Yeah. We're, we're amazing, but we, we're stuck in this emotional thing and these despots and these rulers. Anyone who wants to rule over people is not the God of creation, nor does he follow the things that God created. Yeah, Period. and I sometimes I think, you know, we get confused. Uh, you know, there's just so much coming at us, you know, yes. daily. It's hard to sort through it all. It's hard to kind of... Make make the way clear in front of you. How am I to walk? You know, where when do I stand? You know, what do I say? How do I, you know, not be a coward? How do I honor God in, out in the marketplace? I mean, all these things come to bear. But it occurred to me, bottom line is you can you can never go wrong if life is the top. It's at the top of your list here. When you have to make a decision, make a decision based on what will bring life. And you, yep. you're pretty much guaranteed you're making the right decision. And, you know, like Jeremiah 16, 19, one of my favorite verses, uh, 
where he talks about we've inherited lies. Well, it's true. We've inherited lies. And, and I think about how distorted everything is. I mean, the very fact that we sit and watch the news of people being killed should tell the whole world yeah. not the way the kingdom operates. Exactly. So to settle for that is uh, you're out in the field. To sit by and do absolutely nothing except watch the news and hear about it, if it doesn't affect you, then you're in the field. You're, you're out in the world that doesn't care about the benevolence of our Father. Yeah, we're becoming, our consciences are becoming seared. Seeing, I mean, you don't have to see a death in front of you, but just watching, like you said, the news or these events that happen that are just horrific. And then you get desensitized. Like, you can't even process anymore. You go from, you know, a hurricane to fires to this that terrible thing that happened in Las Vegas. I mean, it just, and we just become more and more desensitized to death. And so we want yeah. to, you know, we want to make sure we don't end up there. And that, because our God is life and life uh, eternal. And that's the message we want to take out into the field, that there is hope and there is life and it is in our God. Well, if I was to sum up what you just said, um, you know, when you talk about desensitized, folks, listen to me carefully. If 1,800 years ago an institution was raised up to foster enmity against the Jewish people and all of the things that God poured into this nation, then 1,800 years later we're completely, completely desensitized to what God told Aaron and Moses to do <laughs> before they left Egypt. Yeah. We have to kind of go back to that. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Exodus 12.1 where he talks about, Moses, you and your brother get over here. I want you to get a lamb. And he began to outline the calendar. Right. And we're desensitized from that because most of the faith-based communities in the world are completely disconnected from that whole conversation. So we're, we're long desensitized to where we're reaching up inside of the womb to kill life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, okay. we're in trouble. Yeah. It's, it's a horrible place we're in, really. We are. We're, and this is, you know, again, this is the role of the priest was to bring life to the community. Yes. And so if, if nothing else we've talked about tonight is if we remember that as we are serving out in the, in the world, in the field, uh, on his behalf, image bearers representing his kingdom, then we are to restore life. And so, you know, like I mentioned last week, you know, response is a, a gentle answer, you know, instead of aggression and anger and all the opposite things of the world we can restore whoever we come in contact with or the community that we're in or whatever we have we have the ability we've been given that ability and that responsibility our best example is Adam himself God placed him into a position to do something well folks that applies to both you and me and I have a saying I've written it all over just about everything I do online if we do absolutely nothing Absolutely nothing will get done. And Adina, you said last week that one of the one of the things holding all of this together is the faith community, the believers. Yep. yep. With, without us, whether we're way off track or getting back on track, if you pick up the Bible and you study 
and you see yourself approved and you worship and you work and you do the things, you take care of the widows and you honor your neighbor, if you're loyal to the things that God, then you're part of the light out there. Mm -hmm. How bright your light shines is entirely up to you, but God placed you into a dark world to be a light. Yep. And uh, if we can start thinking that we're part of a kingdom as opposed to a congregation, right. and start putting on the robes of the priest and start serving, the light just has no choice but to get bright. Dina, we're almost out of time, so I'll let you finish out the show. Well, I mean, it's it is a valuable gift that's been given to us that we are can participate with him in restoring the universe. I mean, can you even get your hands around that? As priests and kings serving with him, we are sharing in the restoration of all of creation. I, I just find that I don't even, that's, to me is just mind-blowing. That, that he has trust, He has entrusted that to us. And so we don't, I mean, we want to, we can't look at that um, as a small thing. This is huge and this is what we need to be dedicated to. So... Um, I don't really have much more to say. I think we're pretty much out of time, and um, who knows where we'll go from here. <laughs> yeah, folks, it's it's been uh, it's been a topsy turvy uh, couple of weeks. So thank you for joining us. I'm returning. Eden will be here next week if uh, if we don't blow up the planet first. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. America, <laughs> what's going on in our political structure in this country defies logic. So. Um, it's a coin toss. Thank God we got a God that's merciful. Amen. Focus on life. We'll see you guys next week. God bless you, and uh, shalom, shalom. Shalom. All right. Bye-bye.